Welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast series. I'm delighted to host this podcast and share key trends and innovations for each of the 25 industries we serve. At SAP, we like to say that we speak the language of our customers, and this language is industry. We've been supporting all industries for more than 50 years now, and it's exciting to launch this podcast and discuss with industry experts the business value that they get from our solutions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Industry Insights podcast by SAP. My name is Tom Raftery, and with me on the show today, I have my special guest, Stuart. Stuart, welcome to the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, thank you very much, Tom. Yeah, sure. My name is Stuart Lemon. I'm the Managing Director for the Net Zero Transformation Practice within Atos. Okay. And for people who might be unfamiliar with Atos, can you give us a few quick words about Atos? Sure. Uh, Atos is a global uh, IT services provider, um, and we focus very much strategically on uh, secure and decarbonized digital enablement. Those are our sort of core pillars of the go-to-market strategy. And you have something called EcoAct. Can you explain to me and to everyone who's listening what that is and why that is? Absolutely. Um, so EcoAct is a climate change consultancy, been around for about 15 years and was set up as a business-to-business organization to provide corporations with all of the uh, insights, consultancy and offsetting, carbon offsetting that they require to reach a net zero end position. So uh, we're, a, we're a couple of hundred people, mostly experts in climate science, and we do all sorts of uh, consultancy, carbon footprinting, science-based target setting, net zero strategy uh, development. And EcoAct is the core of Atos's net zero transformation practice. So as a practice, we're about 260 people spread across the globe, uh, and EcoAct is the center of excellence that sits within that um, enabling both our clients, but also enabling the Atos decarbonization service portfolio. Very good. And you recently did some research on ranking and scoring of companies. Can you tell us a little bit about that too? Yeah, sure. So this time round, uh, report was launched in October uh, 2021. That was the 11th year that we've done that. We call it our sustainability reporting performance report. And what we do is we look at the largest uh, listed companies uh, in the world and we take a, an external assessment of how they are doing in relation to climate change. So we look at all of the uh, external public facing materials that they release and we assess their governance and their strategy and their targets and their performance. And we rank them um, and celebrate the top 20 of those so that we can uh, identify and share best practice in the recognition and the adaptation and the mitigation of climate change for, for corporates. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty big piece of research. Um, and because we've been doing it for 11 years, we've got some really interesting analysis of trends over time. We get a great sense of where the corporate world is going in terms of its response and reaction to climate change. Okay. Do you want to dig into that a little bit more? Where are these companies going? What are those trends telling us? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's been really interesting. So I joined uh, EcoAct around the time we were issuing the first report. So I've seen the, the change over the years. 
originally, a lot of what we saw was just uh, kind of compliance related, some very basic carbon footprinting, some sharing of numbers. What we've seen over the last couple of years is the very, very rapid trends towards net zero as a concept and the adoption of net zero as a concept. So in this reporting round, we see that of the 180 companies that we look at, uh, and that's the FTSE 100, Dow 30, and the Eurostox 50 make up the, the constituents, so some of the largest companies in the world. Of those, we've got about two thirds now have a uh, officially designated net zero commitment. Right. Um, and that's been a huge change. That was up from around kind of 40, 45% last year um, and, you know, probably 20, 25% the year before. So a huge shift in corporate recognition of and adoption of net zero as a concept in response to, to climate change. What we also then see is all of the detailed work that, you know, underpins that. You've got net zero as a concept and a long-term target. You've also, we've seen a huge uptake in the last sort of three to four years of science-based targets for carbon reduction. And we're seeing um, very significant increases in the level of uh, assessment of carbon emissions and supply chains. So, you know, very, very granular carbon accounting of scopes one, two, and three emissions, a much greater uptake of life cycle assessment techniques to you know, look in detail at the hot spots within the carbon footprint. So uh, a real recognition of the issue, adoption of net zero as a target, and we're seeing the work to uh, kind of underpin that and get to that really, um, you know, back, back that up now. Interesting. And I mean, EcoAct has been around for 15 years, you said, and yep. issuing these reports for 11 years. And there's been a huge shift in the last two to three years to the likes of adopting net zero and science-based targets. Why the change? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, you know, and it's particularly interesting for me. I, I studied environmental science, you know, 30 plus years ago, and I've been banging on about this for, for quite some time. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a great position to be in that we are now, uh, you know, as, as experts and consultants, we're, uh, you know, almost struggling to keep up with the demand. People are banging down our door, which is a, you know, a great position to be in. The change, I think, you know, there, there are two or three, uh, well, there, there are a number of drivers. At the very sort of highest level, I think people suddenly, and I say suddenly in, in you know, the last three or four years, can see climate change for themselves. Climate change is a daily news item, obviously not not so much at the moment, but, you know, forest fires and floods and, uh, you know, droughts and melting of ice sheets. These are these are daily items. Sky News now has its climate channel. BBC has a separate tab on its news pages for you know, climate as a specific issue. So I think people see it and recognise it and, and begin to feel it for themselves. I think we have the end of the scientific doubt around climate change. So I think scientists would tell you that they were never in doubt around climate change. When I was a student 30 plus years ago, I was sitting in lectures around climate change and we were asking questions about, you know, are you sure? Is this real? And they were saying, well, yeah, actually, you know, and then bear in mind this is 1989. Yes, we're pretty sure this is happening. We'll need 10 more years of data to absolutely confirm it. But yeah, we're, we're confident this is this is going on. And here we are 30 years later. But I think the post-Paris IPCC one and a half degree report, mm -hmm. I think that was a real sort of turning point in terms of 
the scientific certainty uh, around the impacts of climate change and the the terrible circumstances that uh, we face if we go beyond one and a half degrees. You know, something that's been uh, re- reiterated in the IPCC report that came out uh, on on uh, on the 27th. Um, so that, that's one area, I think. I think you've also got a shift in the sort of commercial capital world. I think the um, the release of the TCFD recommendations, I think, really brought it home to investors and therefore, uh, you know, the, the stakeholders in businesses that deal with investors, that actually climate change is not just about being a good corporate citizen. And for people listening who might not know TCFD? Yeah, good, good, good call because this is a very acronym-heavy world, and, and, and apologies for, for yeah, rambling on. Uh, task force for climate-related financial disclosure. Um, so a, a task force set up um, uh, by the, the the Financial Stabilities Board, chaired by uh, Michael Bloomberg and Mark Carney, and basically they were tasked with coming up with recommendations on the reporting that corporates needed to do to demonstrate to their uh, stakeholders, shareholders particularly, what they understood climate change was going to do to them from a risk and opportunity perspective, and also what uh, information they would share on how they were recognising that and going to adapt to that. Uh, and I think that, that that sort of shift in emphasis away from you know being a good corporate citizen, understanding your carbon footprint, not impacting the environment, to taking the view that actually climate change potentially poses an existential threat to my business and therefore my capital um, has really kind of flicked uh, a switch, particularly in the investment community. And we've seen investors and analysts really focusing on this incredibly uh, hard over the over the last couple of years and ramping up their knowledge, building their teams, building their tools to undertake these assessments. So five years ago, if I'd asked my um, you know kind of board level clients on climate change and do the investors care and do they ask you questions about this they'd have sort of said yeah you know one or two and yeah occasionally get asked what's our carbon footprint whereas now uh, you know every ceo that i speak to will have had their analysts come in and meet them and want them to be able to understand and articulate what they're doing on climate change what their plans are how they plan to get to net zero what implications it has for their supply chain etc etc so a huge kind of step change there and i think that's that's probably what's driven a lot of the corporate pressure there's the greta effect as well and you know lo- love or hate uh, uh greta and you know i'm i'm a i'm a fairly big fan of greta a, a lot of people you know get annoyed by being told what to do by a teenage girl, particularly, you know, middle-aged white guys like us. But, um, you know, I, I had um, people in, in our sort of, you know, uh, customer base coming to me, sustainability directors coming to me a couple of years ago, coming back from Davos where, you know, sustainability was mentioned and one from a, a Fortune 500 company saying, my CEO's teenage daughter is a big fan of Greta and she's asking him what what we are doing about climate change. I need to be able to tell him what we're doing about climate change. So, you know, even at that level, that that sort of effect, that raising of awareness, that bringing the issue home um, has had a real impact. So it's, I think it's a, it's a you know, a multiplication of factors. You've also got government adoption of net zero targets, you know, in the UK, um, one of the first to adopt a legally binding net zero target. And that has driven... Uh, driven action at the corporate level and, and given 
credibility to net zero as a concept and as a as an endpoint. So uh, a, a range of factors, but it's certainly we're seeing a huge level of momentum right now. Super. And you use the expression science-based targets as well. Yeah. Can you, can you explain that concept to people who might be unaware? Yeah, sure. Um, in, in the olden days, when we set a target, um, there were a couple of ways of doing it. You know, there was the sort of wet finger in the air, how much can we achieve, what looks realistic, let's set a target based on that. There was quite often a more informed approach that might involve some, you know, what's our peer group doing, what's, what is our sector doing, what's the expectation, what does good look like? And then quite often there'd be a bit of a bottom-up build of, okay, well, if we reduce this factory's emissions by 3% and that one by 5%, we get to this. And that, that was how targets were set. Then the concept of science-based targets came along. And what science-based targets do is they link corporate emissions reductions to the level of reduction that's required by climate science. So climate scientists have plotted a decarbonization pathway. And if we can stick to that pathway, we'll arrive at uh, one and a half degree warming or we won't go above one and a half degree warming. And effectively, a science-based target takes that budget and it allocates it at a corporate level. So it maps corporate emissions reductions to what climate science tells us is required. So it's it's useful in that it takes away any doubt about the sort of level of ambition. It's an absolute ambition that's um, scientifically defined and is able to be validated by an external body, in this case, the Science-Based Targets Initiative. They're the people that validate targets to uh, say that they meet the requirements. Um, but, it, but it also kind of gives a a clear link between corporate activity and climate science and climate change, and I think that that's a that's a useful connection that um, corporations like to like to see and like to set their science based targets because of that. So, if I am setting targets and they are uh, aligned with the science based target initiatives, then it's kind of a seal of approval that I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. So the the highest level of ambition that you can have is to set a science-based target that's in line with a decarbonisation pathway that would limit climate change, global warming to one and a half degrees above pre-industrial levels. You have to remember we're already at 1.1 degrees, mm. uh, so that extra, you know, 0.4 of a degree isn't isn't far away, and actually probably will be re reached this decade. So it's a fairly steep graph. It's somewhere in the sort of you know, uh, four and a half percent year on year emission reduction, which you know sounds sounds easy, but you know it might be easy for the first couple of years, but you compound four and a half percent out for five or six years, and it starts to get quite challenging. So it's it's a a, a very sort of significant statement for an organization to have a science-based target because it's a, it's a long-term target and it will require significant work and investment to get to that end point. Okay. And how are EcoAct helping your clients achieve these targets? If you break net zero down, so the idea of, of net zero, which is where we're all trying to get to, net zero is this state where we as a society or as individual organizations, incrementally add no more carbon or other greenhouse gases to the atmosphere. We've reached net zero. So to get there, you have to measure your footprint, you have to reduce your footprint, and then uh, offset the residuals, the tricky emissions that you can't reduce or you can't avoid. So EcoAct's role really is to take people on the net zero journey. So we provide insight and analysis at each of the stages. So, you know, 
traditionally a lot of our work was in the measurement side of things and still is lots of carbon footprinting work lots of data systems to provide real-time carbon uh, assessments because the old days of kind of you know measuring your carbon footprint once a year and seeing how you were doing that's kind of fine but actually if we've only got this decade to save the planet those kind of eight data points that we've got for the rest of this decade probably aren't going to be enough so we you know we, we need some real-time data so there's a lot of work going on there what we're also seeing a lot of um, is the recognition, and this is also relatively recent, the recognition for organizations that it's not just about their scope one and two emissions. It's not just about their, their fleets and their factories and their electricity consumption. It's about the full value chain of the business. And for most organizations, the value chain emissions are the, the big ones, you know, for um, typical organizations, it'll be seven or eight times the value of scope one and two emissions so you know your scope one your direct emissions the fuel you buy you burn scope two typically electricity scope three everything else so business travel embodied carbon in your uh, uh, raw materials the distribution of your products the waste treatment of your products the 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 energy that your products use when they're you know sitting in somebody's home plugged into the grid so calculating scope three emissions engaging with the supply chain that's a, a really sort of big area of focus for us we do a lot of work around the car the um the the target setting as we've talked about so helping to set and model science-based targets helping organizations to build net zero strategies and roadmaps so that they can hit their um hit their long-term targets as well uh, and then once you've kind of done that strategic stuff, then it's all about reduction. How do you use that insight and analysis to identify reduction opportunities? And this is where we're tending to work much more closely with our colleagues in Atos. We're, you know, sort of bringing digital decarbonisation to play. So how do you assess the uh, energy consumption and carbon emissions associated with your global IT infrastructure? How do you then optimise that to reduce the carbon emissions there? How do we analyse and, you know, physically audit buildings to look at energy consumption how do we work with our partners to uh, optimize building management systems so that carbon is reduced you know by the people working in business using algorithms using ai um, and then the final part of the puzzle which is the sort of bit that that perhaps is more um slightly more unique to us there are fewer players in this area we are a carbon offsetting business as well so we uh, generate projects which uh, reduce the amount of carbon going into the atmosphere or they remove carbon from the atmosphere through protection of forests or planting of uh, mangroves or trees and that kind of thing and from that we generate um, carbon credits which we uh, sell to clients so that they can offset their remaining residual emissions once they've reduced their emissions down to as low as possible they can offset their residual emissions so that they can achieve that net zero endpoint so the the sort of basis of ecoact is to enable and take our clients on that full net zero journey but from very much from a sort of you know data analysis insight uh, perspective okay and the offsetting world is kind of fraught with uh, the, the, well there, there are various different um, uh, offsets that are some are better than others and there's yep. a lot of potential for greenwashing there how do you yep. how do you certify to your clients that the offsets that they're getting from yourselves are genuine yeah I think it's a really important question I think when offsetting first became 
a thing, you know, sort of uh, 12, 15 years ago. There were, uh, you know, it was a bit of a wild west. There were some fairly dodgy practices out there, uh, very, very poorly regulated and, and poorly controlled. EcoAct, in fact, was one of the sort of organizations that pushed for a high level of quality within the offsetting market. So we were one of the founders of the trade body, the International Carbon Reduction Offset Alliance. Um, and the founding principles really of, of that and for us are that if you're going to do offsetting, it needs to be done to a very high quality uh, and fully independently audited. So uh, there are a number of international standards for offsetting. So there's the, the, the Vera VCS standards, there's the gold standard. And we always recommend that offsetting projects are uh, established against the requirements of those standards. And they uh, guarantee both the, the efficacy of the carbon reduction technique, but they also guarantee the quality of the co-benefits because lots of carbon offsetting projects come with other developmental benefits because they're typically done in uh, developing countries. So the initial stage is to get a project that is uh, externally verified to the gold standard or to the, the Vera VCS standards. And then for each round of issuing credits, and they're issued annually, they are then independently verified by a third-party uh, certification body, you know, typically one of the large global certification bodies like SGS or Bureau Veritas or people like that. So if you're going to offset, it's important to have a high-quality project externally verified and then make sure that all of the management of those credits is done so that those credits are unique, that they are retired on behalf of the organization that has purchased them that you know they get the credit for that they can't be used again they're never double sold etc and our role is to really sort of um, you know make sure that that happens for our clients we do a lot of work on due diligence a lot of work on auditing and risk assessment and then uh, a lot of documentary evidence to prove that you know this high quality standard that we have set has been met on behalf of our clients so there are there are still opportunities to get it wrong uh, and there are lots of you know well-intentioned um, actions out there investing in planting some trees or uh, you know some sort of uh, habitat restoration but if they don't come with that standard backing and that independent verification backing then it's quite hard to know that they're robust and to you know um, talk about them well in the outside world without being accused of, of greenwashing sure sure and can you speak to some success stories you've had with your clients yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, I, I like to think that every project we do with a client is successful. Um, <laughs> for me, you know, success comes at a, at a number of levels. I think sometimes it's really exciting just to provide a really good quality carbon footprint that shows uh, the, the truth of the situation for the organization and then allows insight. Uh, which then, you know, leads to action. So I think, you know, we always tend to focus on the energy reductions and the, the sort of big ticket stuff, but actually the enabling that process and getting that data collection, footprint calculation stuff right can can be very, can be the sort of the trigger for then the, the, the subsequent reductions. It's been really interesting over the years, some of the things that we've seen in that measurement process. One of our clients a number of years ago now was a refrigeration manufacturer. They make refrigeration units for other clients so the, the sorts of people that have a vending machine selling a range of you know fizzy fizzy drinks and that kind of stuff they, they're making that kind of thing big global organization supplying all over europe and we found 
through some uh, good quality carbon accounting and a bit of life cycle assessment of their process that when they were testing the fridges, they put refrigerant into them and run them and that sort of thing. And then when they were taking the test off, a proportion of that refrigerant was just being released to atmosphere. They'd never really thought about this before. And, you know, refrigerants have a very high global warming potential. So we yeah. did the sums and it wasn't, a, it wasn't a particularly huge amount that they were releasing. But because of the effects that that potentially has on the, the climate, it had an, an equivalent reduction, uh, sorry, an equivalent emission of, I think, somewhere in the region, sort of 20,000 tons a year of equivalent of CO2, which is significant. Yeah, so it's a big, a big amount of uh, emission. That insight enabled them to redesign that process and, and almost overnight, within a you know, period of weeks, re removed that emission to almost nothing. So just a really sort of, you know, simple piece of insight, a different way of thinking about a process enabled them to flick that switch and make that ongoing reduction, which was fantastic. You know, we you then get into sort of, you know, longer term stuff, just providing the insight on your energy use in buildings that can drive you know, real change there. Engagement with people can drive real change there. We, we do a lot of work for one of the UK high street banks. They've got um, branches all over the world. In fact, they're very big in North America. We've done a lot of work with them just analysing their energy consumption, helping them to engage with their energy providers to make sure that they're buying renewable tariffs where they can, working with their facilities management team to make sure that you know um, the, the kit on site, the HVAC systems are optimize that they're uh, you know maintained in a way that uh, you know reduces emissions engaging the teams building collections of green teams so that people locally take ownership of this so you know so some great insights there i think some of the really exciting stuff that we see now off the back of the kind of scope three emission discussion the value chain discussion is where you see suppliers for organizations and the the value chains working together to to crack problems and we've we've had some sort of interesting work recently again with one of the high street banks looking at you know how how do they bring together all of their suppliers that manage cash in cash points you know atms how how do they crack some of the issues around that and there's some really sort of interesting issues about security and access and if you want access to an atm you have to collect the key but the key has to be collected from a regional center which may be 40 miles away and you may have two atms on a high street but you have to go to one and then go back to the regional census to get the key for the next one, which is only 300 yards down the road. So we, we've helped you know, these organizations recognize some of these issues, and they're now starting to build some technological solutions that are based on you know, uh, using, using a, a, a smartphone with a highly you know, double-verified double encrypted security way to access these things to reduce the need for driving all over the place and cutting the carbon emissions out of just that process of doing something simple like servicing and refilling an ATM. So all of those sorts of things at, at you know, every point in an organization, big, big ticket stuff is around, you know, replacing boilers. How do you get rid of a, an old coal uh, or gas boiler and replace it with a CHP plant? Maybe something that's, you know, biofuel fired, wood chip fired. How do you take your, um, electricity consumption and move it to renewable can you put renewables on your roof can you buy a renewable tariff can you buy energy certificates to demonstrate you've got a renewable tariff so you know activity at every point along the the carbon footprint chain to chip away at and you know reduce emissions in line with what science tells us we need to do okay and are you seeing any 
effect of this for organizations on their workforce or on their customer base? Yeah, um, I think for us as an organization, we're probably closer to the workforce. And we've seen one, one of the challenges in this sector generally, actually, at the moment is that there aren't that many people with the right skills and experience. Okay. Uh, and what we've seen for a number of clients is that they are really stretched, clients typically being sustainability teams within businesses, they're really stretched just by the desire of their colleagues to want to do stuff about this. So they're finding all sorts of you know activity being kicked off and they're asked to try to get involved or to coordinate or to suggest. So we've seen a huge step up in, in just the engagement within organizations of people wanting to, to do stuff, have data, get ideas implement action and i think that's that's leading to you know that 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 higher level of engagement leads to a greater level of retention within businesses particularly for millennials we we've seen and heard a lot in the last few years that millennials are particularly acutely aware of climate change and it is extremely important for them to know that they are working for an organization that understands it and is taking it seriously and doing something about it so as well as engaging teams companies are using it as a way of uh attracting and retaining talent people do want to work with organizations but certainly you know the customer side of things very much so lots of our clients work you know in quite long value chains and they are being asked by their customers what are they doing about it how are they going to help their customers meet their uh meet their targets one of our customers is a provider of online ticketing for for public transport mm -hmm. they they want to be a leader in this because they see a benefit and a, an opportunity to move people away from private transport into public transport much lower carbon they almost instantly after we started working on their strategy, started to put a carbon calculator onto their website. So when you go on to book a ticket, you can see what the impact's going to be from a carbon perspective of your journey. And you can compare that to what it would be to fly or to get into the car. So lot again, yeah, lot lots of lots of stuff going on. But certainly the the recognition of scope three emissions, you know, having a target for your value chain means that corporates are pushing those targets down into their supply chain. So a number of our customers have come to us and said, this big corporation, uh, you know, Microsoft has, has been sort of um, recognized as doing this, are insisting that we have a science-based target. You know, we're nearly there. Can you help us get a science-based target and prove to these guys that, you know, we are doing doing good stuff and we're supporting their decarbonization by our own decarbonization. Very good, very good. And where to from here? I mean, I know that's a kind of an open-ended question, but you know, we're we're headed towards twenty thirty. It's seven and a bit years away. What's yeah. what's that next few years going to look like for organisations? So we we've had the IPCC next chapter of the uh, assessment report number six come out a couple of days ago, which is all about impacts and adaptation and vulnerability on on society, and it and it is. For, from you know what what I've had chance to read, it's a pretty terrifying, you know, report. If if the the thirty page summary for policymakers is pretty it's pretty eye watering stuff. So I think if anybody were in any doubt about the risks that we face and the consequences that we face for not addressing climate change, you know that that's a, that's the sort of final piece. So I think. We, we have the recognition at a corporate level. We have the recognition at the government level. We know what we're trying to achieve. The question now becomes, how do we get there and how fast do we get there? So for corporates, I think we will see 
the continued adoption of net zero targets. But I think what we'll also see and what we are seeing right now is the detail that underpins that. So one of the other conclusions from our report was that as well as the very big uptake of targets, there is a lag in terms of the detail that sits behind that of how organizations are going to achieve net zero. So I think the next few years will look a lot like the uh, dissemination of targets and the dissemination of the responsibility of hitting targets into every function within an organization. There's no single silver bullet for, for climate change. Every function within a corporation and within the value chain will need to decarbonize. So it will become everybody's responsibility to do that. Um, and so we'll see a lot of corporate activity on that. There'll be a lot of training and capacity building and you know, dissemination of targets. But I think we'll also see the drivers for that, both from the customers and from the shareholders, really focus on the practicalities of achieving net zero, but also the demonstration of progress. So, you know, you used to kind of be recognized as a leader if you had a target and if you had governance and if you had strategy and you said the right thing. Great, that's all good stuff. But I think the next few years you'll be measured on performance. Are you hitting your 5% a year science-based target? How close to net zero have you got? What is your plan for offsetting your residual emissions? And I think we'll see a ramp up in activity and a ramp up in the analysis of activity. And it will be focused on, on achievement. It will be focused on results because we, we, you know, we don't have long enough to kind of sit around designing nice strategies. We, we need to get that carbon, you know, out of the atmosphere as soon as possible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every ton that goes up stays up there for something like a thousand years or more. The, the half life yeah. of carbon in the atmosphere is huge, it's measured in centuries, if not millennia. So the, yeah. the 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 sooner we stop putting it up, the better for everyone. Absolutely, and and what, you know, one of the interesting conclusions of the report that came out uh, yesterday is that direct air capture, sucking carbon dioxide back out of the atmosphere potentially has a, a perverse effect in that because you've got absorption of carbon dioxide in the sea, if you take it out of the atmosphere, it comes back out of the sea. Mm. So it means that, you know, direct air capture, whilst probably a useful tool in the toolbox, is not any substitute for reducing emissions and stopping the stuff going into the atmosphere in the first place and stopping cutting down forests. And, you know, all of all of the stuff that we see, I think that's probably the other point, actually, is the, the thing I hadn't really touched on now, the recognition that the a solution to climate change is also one of kind of equity and justice and how that links to biodiversity. So we can't just have a sort of purely technological uh, Western society based addressing of climate change because the impacts are felt globally and particularly felt by those in the developing world. So as well as reducing carbon emissions, we need to increase education and equity and access to investment globally. We also need to protect the natural ecosystems that ultimately are the things that keep us alive, which are threatened by climate change. If you can address all three of those, then you you stand a chance of you know, doing something and doing something quickly. That's the other kind of main implication, I think, from the IPCC report this week, that it's not, you know, this isn't a single, a single issue. This is a global issue and it's about, you know, planet, people, society and biodiversity. Right. Very good. Stuart, we're coming towards the end of the podcast now. Is there any question I have not asked that you wish I had or any aspect of this that we've not touched on that you think it's important for people to think about? Not really. I think, you know, um, 
it's always important. Well, you know, one of the questions I often get is, what can I do personally? Uh, and I think it's always great if people ask that question. It shows that they're engaged and they want to understand and, and do something. I think people can try to live their own lives in a climate-friendly way, reduce flying, reduce meat consumption, uh, reduce consumption generally, have renewable tariffs at home, renewable energy on the roof, go for an air source heat pump for your house if you can, that kind of stuff. I think at a corporate level, I think it's about it's about engaging, you know, find out what your organization's doing, find out where your role in the organization sits and how you can play a part in that. Can you influence the product design? Can you influence the raw material supply? Can you influence how your IT architecture is set up in a way that reduces carbon? Can you inform by uh, providing data to the people that asked for it. Everyone in every organization has a role to play. So if people can find out what their role is and play their part, then um, that's, a, that's a fantastic step. Super, super. Stuart, that's been really interesting. If people want to know more about yourself or EcoAct or any of the things we discussed on the podcast today, where would you have me direct them? Uh, EcoAct website is a good place to start. They can find me uh, on LinkedIn. Happy to... Um, connect with people and uh, answer questions if we can. Phenomenal. Stuart, that's been great. Thanks a million for coming on the podcast today. Thank you very much for having me, Tom. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast. If you want to explore our industry portfolio to find the solutions you need to run your business better, faster and simpler, please visit us at sap.com slash industries.